0: Oh, oh, shine upon the darkness, oh, word of truth, shine bright. Abide with me forever, your law is my delight. Hey everyone, and welcome to Theana Money where we seek to help the good man leave an inheritance to his children's children. This is Jeremy Collins, the host of Theonomony. This week I am doing something I have not really done too much on the podcast, or at least not as often as I would like to. So far, episode 13, which you can go back and listen to as soon as you finish this one, that's about the only time where I've done what I am going to try to do on the podcast today, but it is something that I definitely want to do more going forward. So what is this thing that I'm going to do today that I haven't done much or have only done once so far in the podcast? I want to walk through a passage of scripture and talk about its economic implications. The reason I want to do this more often going forward is because this pretty much sums up the essence of the name of this podcast, Theana Money, How God's Law Applies to Money, How God's Law Applies to Economics. Now, I will be walking through various passages from God's Word, not just from the Torah or Pentateuch or whatever name you prefer for the first five books of the Bible, the five books of Moses in the Old Testament. But I will try to walk through passages from those five books at least somewhat regularly because that truly gets at the heart of what this podcast should be if it is to stick clear to its mission. In fact, today we will be looking at a passage from one of those books. We will be looking at Exodus 16. But before we get started, I want to remind you all to subscribe on whatever podcast feed you are using to listen to this podcast if you have not already done so. Hit the notification button, turn on auto-download so you don't miss any episodes, and please like, rate, review, or whatever feature your app uses to help others see Theana Money's content. And please, if you listen to the podcast on Sermon Audio, consider switching to one of the other places like Spotify, Apple, iHeartRadio, or Podbean, because I am not sure how much longer the podcast will be able to be on Sermon Audio. It may still be for a while to come, or it may be off of that site soon. That is really outside of my control. But if you like Theonimony and Cruciform Ministries, and if you like listening to both of them on on Sermon Audio, please consider supporting us on Patreon, which will help us be able to keep things like the Cruciform Ministries Sermon Audio page live, which is the page that puts Theonimony's episodes on Sermon Audio. So let's get to the topic at hand. This week, we will be looking at Exodus chapter 16, verses 13 to 18. So let's read those verses. I will be reading out of the New American Standard Bible, 1995 edition. And before I get started reading, the background for this passage is that Israel is in the wilderness traveling from Egypt to the Promised Land. God has judged Egypt with his ten plagues, and Israel left that nation in ruins, a fraction of its former glory, with nearly its entire army dead, without Israel so much as lifting a hand. Oh, okay. Except for the hand Moses used to lift his staff over the Red Sea, but that was the only hand lifted. Now, Israel's in the wilderness crying out to God for food because apparently the God that just released the 10 plagues on Egypt is not powerful enough to make sure the nation gets food in the wilderness or something like that. But before you judge them too harshly, remember that we all too often have a similar, if not the same, hard heart toward God in many areas and need to be constantly repenting of that and asking him for the grace we need to be further sanctified. Anyways, let's get to the passage at hand. So, Exodus chapter 16, verses 13 Through eighteen, So it came about at evening that the quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew evaporated, behold, on the surface of the wilderness there was a fine flake-like thing, fine as the frost on the ground. When the sons of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it every man as much as he should eat. You shall take an omer apiece according to the number of persons each of you has in his tent. The sons of Israel did so, and some gathered much and some little. When they measured it with an omer, he who had gathered much had no excess, and he who had gathered little had no lap. Every man gathered as much as he should eat. So the verses we will be looking at in detail today are verses 16 through 18. I started at verse 13 to help provide context because context is king. So let's look at those verses a bit. Verse 16 teaches us that the Lord commanded the Israelites to gather, each man gathering for himself as much as he should eat. And Omer per person, according to the people in his tent or family. Verse seventeen says the Israelites obeyed the command of God. They gathered, some much and some little, according to how much they needed to gather for the family, for the people and their households. Then verse eighteen says that they each gathered as much as he needed for his household. The one with the larger household, who gathered much, had no excess. The one with the smaller household who gathered little had no lack. Each one gathered as much as his household should eat. So in today's episode, I will talk about the implications of these three verses here, specifically in regard to responsibility, charity, and socialism. But before I jump into any of those, I want to give them a bit more background for where we are in Exodus and Israel's history. but. From a different point of view, much of what I'm about to say comes from Gary North, so I want to give credit where credit is due. I already had this podcast episode thought out in quite a bit of detail, but I wanted to see what Gary North had to say in his economic commentary on Exodus, and now what I originally planned to say in this episode has been supplemented and expanded by what he said in the chapter called Mana, Predictability, and Dominion. Exodus 16, 4-5. And that's from his book, Authority and Dominion, Volume 1. What did Israel just come out of from Egypt? Slavery. Their mindset was still, by and large, the mindset of slaves. God had to work that out of them to make them fit to be free men and women in the promised land. He spent 40 years doing that in the wilderness. Actually, God killed off the older, rebellious generation that would not do away with their old slave mentality, and God raised a new generation with a new, free-person mentality, which, if you ask me, is hashtag that postmill, working on the next generation when the current one won't repent. Now, a bit of a detour, and then we will come back to Israel and their newfound lack of slavery. Remember that video the World Economic Forum dropped a few years ago? What do they want us to do by 2030? They want us to own nothing and be happy. The Bible actually talks about owning nothing and being happy. It calls it slavery. The slave owns nothing, but he has a happy existence of just doing whatever his master tells him to do. All that he is comes from the master. His food, his clothing, his daily tasks, his decisions, his very identity. It all comes from the master. The slave to master government is much the same. The state gives him his necessities to live and he owns none of them. He owns nothing and he is happy. Israel in Egypt was much like what the World Economic Forum wants us to be by 2030. Some of the Israelites in Egypt... They did own property because they had livestock, see Exodus 9, 4, and 12, 3. But many of them got everything from Egypt, including their food and the raw materials to make the bricks, until Pharaoh got mad at them because of Moses and made them get the materials to make their own brick. They were dependent upon Egypt for virtually everything. Egypt owned them. Although, I think they had much more freedom than what we would have under this World Economic Forum dystopia. So, it is not a perfect analogy, but it's not far off. So, Israel gets into the wilderness, and now Egypt is not providing for them basically everything they need to survive anymore. They complain to God and talk about Egypt like it was some sort of paradise... Even though when they lived there, they cried out to God for deliverance from their bondage. God got them out of slavery, but now he needed to get the slavery mindset out of them. And he had a great way to do it, the manna in the wilderness. God is providing the food they need to survive, but they each have to go out and collect it on their own. This teaches them personal responsibility and dependence upon God at the same time. So let's get back to those concepts of responsibility, charity, and socialism. First, let's look at responsibility. This gathering of manna daily taught Israel responsibility and dependence upon God. They could not gather enough to have extra for the future or else it would rot, which taught them to trust in God anew every morning. His mercies are new every morning, great is God's faithfulness, to paraphrase the hymn. This also taught them the responsibility of needing to work daily, not taking days to rest and become lazy. They were only to rest on God's Sabbath. And even on that day of rest, they were to prepare the day before by gathering twice as much manna so that it would last them two days instead of just one. This one day a week the manna would not rot, but would stay fresh through the Sabbath day. This too taught the Israelites dependence upon God, including resting as he has commanded, as well as the responsibility to prepare double the day before the Sabbath so that they could properly rest and worship the Lord on the Sabbath day. Israel was taught responsibility in that they had to gather enough for their households. Those with larger families had to gather more and those with smaller families had to gather less. That taught responsibility for taking the size of the household into account when it comes to providing for everyone, something that slaves did not need to think about when their masters made sure everyone was taken care of. Thus, this was a skill that Israel needed to learn. And these verses do teach us about socialism, dropping to the last one in that list of three things I mentioned. Socialists may use verse 16 to claim that everyone was commanded by God to gather an omer per person, and that at the end of the day, the one who gathered little had no lack, and the one who gathered much had no excess. Therefore, the socialist twisting this passage to teach his unbiblical view of the economy would say that there was equality of outcome. Everyone was told how much to produce, no more, no less. Some produced much and some produced little, according to his or her ability. And everyone had exactly the perfect amount needed for his family. There was no meritocracy here. It was equality of outcome. Well, that doesn't quite work though. This is taking like half of one verse and then half of another verse, then ignoring the other half of those verses, as well as the verses before, after, and in between. Then on top of all that, interpreting those passages through a socialistic lens instead of a lens of good hermeneutics. But what do we see the passage actually saying? In verse 16, God commanded that each man should gather as much as he should eat, which is an Omer, and as much as those in his household should eat, which is an omer per person in the household. Each man worked to gather enough to provide for himself and his household. Verse 17 says that they obeyed the command. Although from other passages near this one, we know that not all obeyed it perfectly. Yet they did by and large obey it, those with larger households gathering more, and those with smaller households gathering less. See, we do not read verse 17 in a vacuum, and when it says some gathered more than others, that means from each according to his ability, and then when we read in verse 18 about no one lacking or having excess, that means to each according to his need. We read verse 17 in light of verse 16 when it said that they were to gather a set amount per person according to the number of persons in the tent or household. Then, when verse 17 says that they did so, and some gathered much and others gathered little, we should understand that as gathering as much as each one's tent or household required, not gathering according to his ability in some socialistic sense. Then we get to verse 18. This can be taken a few different ways. What does it mean that they measured it with an omer. Does that mean that each man measured what he gathered to make sure he gathered what God commanded him to gather, no more or no less? This more individual view would fit perfectly well with the more free market interpretation of this passage. Or, did they gather all of the manna that all of Israel gathered into one giant heap and then measure out with an omar sized measuring tool what each tent or household was to receive that day. This would be interpreting the passage in line with the more socialistic view. Now before we dive further into that, let's remember the context we learned from Gary North, that God is using manna to teach the Israelites certain things about responsibility and providing for themselves, while at the same time trusting in God for provision. He is weaning them off of slavery to Egypt to provide all of their needs and teaching them that he provides their needs, but that they have to work and work every day, except for the Sabbath of rest, to acquire what they need to survive. Therefore, even if we interpret this passage in the most outrageously socialistic way possible, that does not prove much for us today. A 40 year period where God is weaning his people off of their slavery, slavery which actually resembles socialism in many ways, if you remember what I said a bit ago in this episode, and teaching them dependence upon him while also learning responsibility and provision for themselves and their households, this is not a good thing to argue as an example of how we should base the economics of our societies today especially not when this set period of time included a miracle happening every single morning except for the Sabbath. Although on the sixth day, a doubly sized miracle happened to cover for the Sabbath. And that God has not performed this miracle since those 40 years ended over 3,000 years ago. So even the most socialistic interpretation of this text has to start its argument That this thing God did once for a set period of time in redemptive history for a specific purpose and never did again is actually teaching us how we should order our economics and all societies for all time. Except that it will look very different because God is not raining manna down every morning anymore. So something like Unicomp from This Perfect Day will have to assign jobs in place of God-giving manna and commanding people to gather it. Hmm. A computer or some sort of government agency replacing God. That sounds a lot like statism. The idolatry of the state in the place of God. Interesting. So let's get back to the two ways we can interpret verse 18. And let's add a third one to it. It could be something more in the middle of those two where everyone gathers his own individually or small scale corporately for his family. But that everyone measures it and those who gather too much leave some behind from which store those who gather too little would add to get the full omer. Now, I can't give a full, super detailed explanation of the interpretation issues and practical outworkings of each of these positions because I think I'm already over time for this episode. But I do want to read to you what Calvin has to say on this passage. John Calvin seems to go more with the large store dispersed among the Israelites and Omer per person idea. Now, I called that the more socialistic interpretation. But Calvin actually refutes the idea that this supports the economics of the Anabaptists, which would more or less correlate in his time to what we consider socialism today. So I'm going to read a section from my Calvin Commentary on Exodus, published by Baker Bookhouse and printed in 1998, pages 278 to 279. And with a citation like that, no one can uh, say that I'm plagiarizing entire sermons or anything like that. So, Calvin says, But I thus paraphrase the passage, that when they had applied themselves to the gathering of it, the whole amount was found sufficient to fill an omer for every individual. For they did not each of them collect a private store, but when all had assisted, at length they took their prescribed portion from the common heap. Thus, as each was more especially diligent, the more he benefited his slower and less industrious neighbor without any loss to himself. This is aptly applied by Paul to almsgiving, 2 Corinthians 8.14, wherein everyone bestows of what he possesses on his poor brethren. Only let us remember that this is done figuratively, for though there be some likeness between the manna and our daily food, yet there is a distinction between them to be observed on which we shall elsewhere remark. Since then, the manna was a food differing from what we commonly use, and was given daily without tillage or labor, almost into their hands. It is not to be wondered that God should have called each one of the people to partake of it equally, and forbade any one to take more than another. This case of ordinary food is different for it is necessary for the preservation of human society that each should possess what is his own, that some should acquire property by purchase, that to others it should come by hereditary right, to others by the title of presentation, that each should increase his means in proportion to his diligence, or bodily strength, or other qualifications. And fine political government requires that each should enjoy what belongs to him. And hence it would be absurd to prescribe, as to our common food, that law which is here laid down as to the manna. And Paul also wisely makes the distinction, and enjoining that there should be an equality, not arising from a promiscuous and confused use of property, but by the rich spontaneously and liberally Relieving the wants of their brethren, and not grudgingly or of necessity. In this way, he reminds us that whatever goods we possess flow from the bounty of God, like the manna. But since each now possesses privately and separately whatever is given them, the same law is not enforced for the mutual communication of property whereby God bound his ancient people. Thence it appears that the distribution of the manna, as it is related by Moses, is properly applied to almsgiving. This doctrine, too, extends still further, for Paul warns believers not to be over-anxious, lest they should exhaust themselves by their bounty, because no man's provision failed when the Israelites by God's command divided the manna among them. Now finally, before I close this episode, I want to return to that list of three things from earlier because I never really dove into the middle one, generosity. This passage teaches us about generosity because people would need help. There would be those who for whatever reason, whether old age or injury or what have you, would be unable to gather their omer a day per person in the tent. This is where generosity comes in as those who are able to help them by gathering extra to give to those in need. This is not socialism. This is biblical generosity. Socialists like to claim that private property, free market proponents like myself, and should I say like the Bible, hate the poor, and refuse to care for them or help them in any way? Absolutely not. I just recognize that it is not the state's job to care for the poor, it is the job of private citizens. In other words, that responsibility belongs to the first two spheres of sovereignty, the family and the church, not to the third sphere of sovereignty, the state or sometimes the civil magistrate, whichever term you prefer. So, in short, Exodus 16 in particular, and the entire course of God's provision of manna as a whole, teaches us that God was not only providing food for a nation in the wilderness, he was also training the Israelites in responsibility and taking care of those under one's care. God was weaning Israel off of their slavery mindsets, which developed while they were in Egypt, and he was giving them freedman mindsets of those willing and able to work and also willing and able to show generosity by helping those who legitimately could not work. So that was this week's episode of Theonomony on Acts 16 and what it teaches us about economics. As we go, I want to remind everyone that the law of the Lord is perfect, sure, right, pure clean, and true. So go apply that law in light of the gospel of Christ's atoning death and resurrection to every area of life. Grace and peace. More than Say